Elhamdülillahi ve kefâ ve selâmun alâ ibâdihillezîn astofâ emmâ ba'd. The Sahaba radiyallahu anhum had a special quality that was found in all their activities. It in their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in their interaction with other people and all the good they did. And this quality was that they would not just be content with doing the bare minimum that was required. They would always go beyond the call of duty. If we can copy and paste that quality within our lives, then we will definitely see a tremendous boost in the quality of our existence. When it comes to the things of this world, uh, then people tend to have a natural instinct to want what is the better of the two options. So if you have an option between two cars, you'll go for the better one. you got between two jobs, you'll take the better paying one. Or between two spouses, the more beautiful one. So instinctively, we look for what is the better option, what is the best. So with regards to the things of this world, that unbridled thirst to constantly want the best thing, that can come, to, come back to bite us. Uh, so in fact, we need to keep it in check. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks us a question. Am lil insani ma tamanna? Does man think that he will get everything he desires in this world? Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us the answer. Falillahi al-akhiratu wal-ula. No. To, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has in his control the year after this world, the treasures of all. And whenever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decides, and when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, gives makes a decision for what will come to us, that is the only thing that will work. In fact, if you want to experience true freedom, true contentment of heart, we need to be satisfied with the decision of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when He gives us anything at that particular point in our life. Hazrat Abdullah ibn Mas'ud he on his deathbed, he gave five advices, advices to his son, Abdurrahman. Uh, and firstly, we marvel at the Sahaba radiallahu anhu, marvel at the pious people of the past, that uh, how in control they were of the emotions, even when faced with death, that they could give these advices and they could pass on such valuable gems. In fact, they didn't only give us self-help tips for our money, for our relations with people, for our worldly matters, but they also gave us self-help tips, self-improvement tips for our grave and beyond. So Abdullah ibn Masood radiallahu he tells his son that my son, don't desire, don't show people, don't have this desire to take whatever other people have. That, he says, will be ghinan fadil, it will give you true self-contentment. That when you see someone has something, then don't hanker after it, don't want to take it away from that person. In fact, the secret of a stress-free life is not to keep comparing our lot in life, what we have in life, with what others have. If our dreams and aspirations don't materialize and all of us start off life with these dreams and, and aspirations, and then we see the, the years are passing by, life is passing by, if we do not resign ourselves to accepting the decision of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that this is what He wants for us at this particular moment in life, then we very quickly can give in to depression, despair, and a sense of futility. So he says to his son that don't desire what other people have. And then he gives the next advice, and this is the first point I want to touch on today with regards to going the extra mile. Uh, and that is within, with our relations with people. Sahaba radiallahu anhum showed us how to express courtesy and good conduct with everyone. 
he, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud says to his son, My son, don't say or do anything that later you will need to apologize for it. What brilliant and beautiful advice. Think before you communicate. Think before you press the button. Hazrat Abdullah ibn Abbas he was once observing itikaf in the masjid of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in Medina Munawara and he saw someone came into the masjid and that person from his outer appearance seemed sad, he seemed troubled. So he asked him, is something uh, troubling you? So the person says, yes, I've got an obligation to fulfill but I don't think I'm going to meet that obligation. So Abdullah ibn Abbas he asks him that shall I intercede on your behalf? The man says, well, if you can, I'll, I'll appreciate it. So Abdullah ibn Abbas, anhuma, he gets up and he goes and he's about to put on his shoes. So the man tells him, that, have you forgotten that you're in itikaf? Abdullah ibn Abbas, anhuma, with tears rolling down his face, he says, no, no, I haven't forgotten. But I heard Nabi wasallam say that whoever goes out to fulfill a necessary matter, necessary affair of his brother, that service shall be better than itikaf for 10 years. And what is the reward for itikaf for one day? That there will be three trenches between yourself and the fire of Jahannam, the distance of each trench between the earth and the heavens. You can well imagine for 10 years of itikaf, what tremendous distance there will be between ourselves and Jahannam. This is the reward for helping someone else. Our interaction with other people, looking out for others. Ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma, he says, and this is a hadith narrated in Tabarani, that the most beloved of people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are those who are of most benefit to humanity. And the most beloved of actions is to bring happiness to a Muslim, to relieve him of some hardship, to settle a debt on his behalf, or to remove some hunger from him. And he goes on to say, for me to walk with my brother in order to assist him is more beloved to me than to make i'tikaf in Medina Munawwara, in the Masjid of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam for one whole entire month. A man once came to Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he was complaining of hunger and Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam sent a message to his wives to see if there was any food in the house and all the wives sent the message back, the reply back that there's nothing besides water. There was a Nabi Sallallahu then asked, who will host this person, this guest? Hazrat Abu Talha radiallahu he gets up and he accepts. This is a brilliant family. This is a most uh, amazing family. Abu Talha radiallahu anhu, his wife, Umm Sulaim radiallahu anha, their children read about their lifestyle. There are plenty of lessons for us to learn from there. Nevertheless, he goes home and he tells his wife that I've got a guest coming and she says, we've only got food enough for the kids. So he said, okay, let's make a plan. You distract the, the children, make them go to sleep without any food and <clears throat> uh, we, will, uh, we will then make a plan when the guest comes in, there will be a candle lit and then by mistake, or we will call it a mistake, that candle will go off and in the dark, that person will think that he's eating with us. We'll make some sounds like we're eating. In reality, the guest ate alone. No one else ate the food. They all went to sleep without eating and the guest ate to his full. The next day, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam sees Abu Talha radiallahu anhu and he says, Oh Abu Talha, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loved that action of your wife and yourself. And Allah Azza wa Jal revealed this ayah, يُؤْثِرُونَ عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ وَلَوْ كَانَ بِهِمْ خَصَاصًا That there are such people who give preference to others and sometimes at the expense of even going through poverty themselves. Generosity, big-heartedness, 
uh, especially when opening their homes to guests was an outstanding feature of the lives of the Sahaba anhum. Entertaining guests is a sunnah. What we learn from here is sacrificing your comfort to ensure the well-being of others. The people around us, our wives, our kids, our parents, those who are in contact with us. In fact, this is a very is a rapidly diminishing hallmark of the Muslim. So the first thing Sahaba taught us that in our interaction with others, go the extra mile, look out for the comfort of others. The second is with regards to our self-reformation and improvement. This is also a brilliant quality within our lives to constantly improve ourselves. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud then gives the next advice to his son and he says, وَإِنِ اسْتَطَعَتَ أَلَّا يَأْتِيَ عَلَيْكَ يَوْمٌ إِلَّا وَأَنْتَ خَيْرٌ مِّنْكَ بِالْأَمْسِ my son. If it is possible to conduct yourself today better than what you were yesterday, then do so. That you are always looking to improve your character. The hadith of Tirmidhi, the believer, the Muslim, is naturally noble and the corrupt person is a deceitful troublemaker. What do the ulama tell us? That we always, a believer always thinks the best of the others, best of others, and he doesn't get involved in scandal and the drama of other people's lives. He doesn't stoop to being involved in street gossip. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that he who purifies himself has most certainly achieved success. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us the way to achieve that reformation within our character and our lives. Be in the company of those who are pious, those who are upright in their conduct and in their character. The Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'in taught us how to reform ourselves. It's not just that you do it yourself. You, they unreservedly would place the inner struggles in front of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and then he would guide them on how to reform their lives. Such as the young Sahabi radiallahu anhu comes into the company of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he asked permission to commit zina. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam showed him how to reform that particular character trait within his life and he became an upstanding member of, commu of the community. So that's the second thing always improving ourselves, going the extra mile in improving our character, always looking out to better ourselves in how we deal with others. The third requirement or the third thing that Sahaba went beyond the call of duty in doing was with regards to their ibadah and their acts of worship. That they wouldn't just be content with meeting the bare minimum or the bare requirements. If we carry out our faraid, our obligatory acts, we stay away from sin as far as possible, then we will most certainly enter Jannah. But the bottom level, the floor of Jannah is the top of the seventh heaven. And it reaches all the way to the bottom of the arsh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the prime real estate of Jannah. We shouldn't just be content of making it into Jannah. Let's try to get as close to the arsh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as possible. Ibn Mas'ud then advises his son and how to go that extra mile in our ibadah. He says, فَإِذَا صَلَّيْتَ صَلَاةً فَصَلِّ صَلَاةَ مُوَدَّعٍ فَصَلِّ صَلَاةَ مُوَدَّعٍ كَأَنَّكَ لَا تُصَلِّ بَعْدَهَا My son, when you read your salah, any salah you enter into, then read it as though it is your last salah. Read it as though you are going to be bidding farewell to this world. Life is extremely short. Uh, we, we've done so many sins in our life. Now we've, we, we might walk out of the masjid and then there's an accident or uh, there's a robbery or there's a heart attack, whatever. There's so many ways we can die. And that was the last thing we did in our life. 
imagine if that was our last salah that we are reading, no more an opportunity to, to make things right between ourselves and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how focused would we, 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 would we not be on that salah? So when you read every salah that you start, think to yourself, this is my last salah in this world, and you will see that focus, you will see that attention coming within that salah. So we don't just read that salah, we are not just content of, on fulfilling the obligation of salah from our shoulders, we try to make it an excellent salah. So we come earlier to the masjid. We don't just rush in for the farad. We finish our salah. We take a bit of extra time in the masjid after salah. We make it a habit of reading nafil and optional salah as well. This will help in covering up any shortfall that will come or might be in our faraid and our obligatory acts. On the day of qiyamah, the first thing that will be accounted for will be our salah. And if the farad was found to be lacking or imperfect in any way, then that will be compensated with any nafil actions that we had carried out. If we had not read nafil actions, then we have a bit of a problem. This is a hadith of Abu Dawood. Let me share with you an extremely effective method and means of winning our battles with the struggle of life. And that is through an extra salah. That is through tahajjud salah, which is in the last portion of the night. The Sahaba radiallahu anhum would read, layl, two-thirds of the night, nisfahu, half the night, the entire night, they would spend in tahajjud salah. This last portion of the night, you go to sleep and then you wake up of that, out of that deep sleep uh, before fajr salah. That is the time when du'as are answered. This is a hadith of Muslim Sharif. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, look at this motivation. If you need any motivation to bring tahajjud within your life, then look at the motivation of Nabi Karim sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Alaykum bi qiyam al-layl, fa innahu da'abu salihin That you should become regular and vigilant in performing your tahajjud salah, because this was the practice of the pious peace people qablakum, before you. Wa inna qiyam al-layl qurbatun ilallahi. And this tahajjud salah is a means of coming close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it is a barrier. It will save you from falling into sin. And if you happen to fall into sin, it will wipe out that sin from your credit and from your, from your book of deeds. And it is also a means of repelling and keeping away sickness from your body. So there are plenty of benefits with regards to the world and with regards to our emotional well-being that come with tahajjud salah, we need to put it within our lives. The fourth thing which, in which the Sahaba anhum showed us this quality of going beyond the bare minimum uh, was to, in the seeking of knowledge of Islam. This was a salient feature of all the successful scholars of the past. They didn't just seek the knowledge of Islam, but they went to great lengths to secure it. Abu Ayyub Ansari, the first host of Nabi in Medina Munawwara, he travels from Medina Munawwara to Egypt to learn a single hadith. After learning it, he packs his bags and he goes back home. We have resources of Islam, of hadith beyond belief. One of the most used resources amongst the ulama is Maktab al the comprehensive library. It's a digital library. It first appeared in 2005. There were 900-odd free books on it. 2006, there were 1,800 books. In 2007, 5,000 books. 2019, 29,000 books. There's plenty of knowledge available, yet there is more ignorance than ever before. And what's the reason? Knowledge needs to be sought. It needs some sacrifice in attaining that knowledge. And that has got lost between the inspirational tweets that we are going through in our day and the quick YouTube, tubes, YouTube clips that we are listening or watching. Ibn Abbas, anhuma, he says, 
I would sometimes hear that another Sahabi had a knowledge of a certain hadith which I did not know. If I had wished, I could have called him and he would have most gladly, most willingly come to my house and taught me that hadith. But I would rather go to his door myself and learn the hadith there. This is in Darami. This is the greatest commentator of the noble Quran, Ibn, Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma, the cousin of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Yet he knew the only way to gain true knowledge was through sacrifice. So this is a quality that we need to bring within our lives. It's not just a matter of reading a few things here and there, uh, listening to a few talks and then uh, becoming experts in the field. The next quality which the Sahaba radiallahu anhum had where they showed uh, a great amount of enthusiasm for, this was with regards to adab or respect and especially for scholars of Islam, for the, the teachers that taught us our Islam. Respect is an integral part of Islam. Uh, from respecting the symbols of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, respecting his Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, to respecting those who carry the knowledge of the noble Quran and the Sunnah. The person who shows respect to the symbols of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that is a sign of taqwa within his heart. Sahaba radiallahu anhum had the most intense respect and adoration for Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Once Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was in a red leather tent in Al-Abta, Bilal radiallahu anhu comes out of the water, the, the wudu water of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that he had used. Some sahaba radiallahu anhu managed to get the leftover water and they wiped it on themselves. And those who couldn't manage to, or didn't manage to get the water, these sahaba would take some of that moisture that remained on their hands and they would sprinkle it onto others who uh, didn't have that opportunity. This is in the hadith of Muslim. The respect they had translated into extreme love for Nabi Karim sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Imam Zarnuji rahmatullahi says, مَا وَصَلَ مَنْ وَصَلَ إِلَّا بِالْحُرْمَةِ وَمَا سَقَطَ مَنْ سَقَطَ إِلَّا بِتَرْكِ الْحُرْمَةِ Those who succeeded, they did, throw, did, did so through respect. And those who failed did so because of lack of respect. Imam Abu Hanifa rahmatullahi says, مَا مَلَدْتُ رِجْلِي نَحْوَ دَارِ أُسْتَاذِ حَمَادِ بْنِ أَبِي سُلَيْمَانِ إِجْلَالًا لَهُ وَبَيْنَ دَارِهِ وَدَارِ سَبْعُ سُكَكْ that I'd never stretched out my leg in the direction of the house of my teacher, Hamad, rahimahullah, out of respect for him. And you know what? Between my house and his house were seven blocks. It was a, it was a big distance, but he showed us that, that respect. Imam Shafi, rahmatullah he says that I would turn the page of the kitab as gently as possible in the presence of Imam Malik, rahmatullah out of fear that I might disturb him. Amr ibn As, radiallahu anhu, sahabi, he says, I never stared at the face of Nabi, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, out of love, out of awe for him. This is, a, this is the hadith of Muslim. Sahaba, radiallahu anhu, and we conclude with this, they, had, they went to great lengths to prepare their final moments before death. They didn't shy away from facing up to the, the reality. One way or the other, all of us have to leave this world and breathe our last. So this is a quality we also need to bring within our lives, to think about death, think about what's coming after death. Abu Musa Ash'ari radiallahu anhu instructed people before his death, go and dig my grave. And then he said to the people, you know what, my grave is either going to be spacious and I will have a door open to Jannah and I will smell the fragrance of Jannah or that grave is going to crush me and there will be a door open to Jahannam and I will, I will get the smell and the smoke of Jahannam. Abu Hurairah he said, Asri'u bi, Asri'u bi, my, my, my companions, when I die, hasten with me to the grave because a believer when he dies he says take me quickly I need to go to my Jannah and a disbeliever when he dies he says oh wow destruction to me where have I ended up Ubadi ibn Samit radiallahu anhu he used to say or he said at his last 
moments asri'u bi ila hufrati take me quickly to my grave sa'd ibn abi waqas radiyallahu an he says to the people around him kaffinuni fiha that bring my woolen cloak woolen sheet that i have kaffinuni fiha shroud me in it fa inni laqitu almushrikeen fiha yawm badr that this was the very cloak this was the very sheet that i wore when i met the mushrikeen and the idolaters in battle on the day of badr wa inma kuntu ukhabbiha li hadha al-yawm i had kept it specially for this day of my burial these were the sahaba radiyallahu anhum and the the motivation they had in thinking about death and making it a feature and facet of their life so if we can bring this quality of sahaba radiyallahu anhum within all our actions that we should do more than what is required whether it is in our relations with people whether it is in our relationship with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we will see fruit beyond our expectations and we will have true meaning more within our lives that we are living in this world inshallah uh mona junaid hasam will be with us next week saturday after maghrib salah come in and benefit from that program and then inshallah if all works out on the 25th of december the juma will be conducted by qari abdul rahman ishaq the son of ma abdul hamid uh, ishaq of azadwal he is the imam in robertsham masjid al huda